How to attract and retain girls in STEM. Australia, the unlucky country for vulnerable kids. Sweet swag up for grabs for loquacious learners. Hello and welcome to Talking Eds, APN Educational Media's weekly review podcast, comprising the team behind Early Learning Review, Education Review and Campus Review. I'm Patrick Avenal and I'm the news editor of these sites and I'm joined by Lauren Smith from Early Learning Review. Hi Lauren. Hi Patrick. And James Wells from Campus Review and Education Review. How are you going? Good, how are you? Very well, thank you. James, STEM has become a real buzzword during the current federal election. It stands for Science, Technology, Engineering and Maths. Subject areas traditionally skewing male, uh, perhaps more so than female. And as a result of that, there's a concerted push to get more girls into STEM. And you wrote a yarn this week off the back of an event about getting girls into STEM. Yep. Tell us more. Well, the, I'll tell you about the event first. The event was hosted by Intel Australia as part of Vivid Ideas, as part of the, the Lights Festival in Sydney. And they basically had a panel of experts, of people who actually work in this area, teaching girls about STEM and getting them into interested in science. And science is cool, but, but as we get older, the stats show that they're into it during primary school and about till about year nine, but when you go to year 10, 11, 12, there's a massive drop off in the boys' takeover. That's essentially it. And so they offered some tips to, to get girls into STEM and keep them there. So I'll read you through the tips and who said them. The first one is from Kate Burley from Intel Australia. And her, one of her big tips was, well, she sort of had two, but the first one was, if you're trying to get more, more women and young students and female students into these STEM makerspaces, don't paint the makerspace pink and put Hello Kitty pictures all over the walls. In other words, don't patronize the women in there. And her, her other big tip was that the fact that these STEM programs should advertise that getting into tech doesn't mean just you, you work for Intel or you work for a tech company. There's so many other roles that tech involves. Like a, there's biomedicine. You could be a doctor using biomedical techniques. You could be... And one of the biggest examples, if you're interested in the arts, you could be the technology program for Vivid and bring Sydney to life. Another tip was Carsten Schultz, and, who is the program director of the IT Education Advocacy Group, Digital Careers Australia. His tip was basically to um, guide the kids' learning, not direct it, not tell them what to do, but just push them in a direction and see what comes out and let them be, let them be creative. Sarah Moran, she's the co-founder and, and a marketing director of in the Girl Geek Academy, which is a teaches girls about STEM. And she disagreed with Kate Burley, and she said they do have a Hello Kitty 3D printer, and, it goes, and she said it goes off like a frog in a sock. So... There's a bit of um, debate about there, and her main point was it, it adds femininity. It shows how it can relate to the girls. The Those sort of gender lines, I mean, we see that a lot, you know, blue for boys, uh, pink for girls. Those sort of gender lines, I think that they're, they, they do have a little bit of a place, but I, I think that to say don't do it or do it as a mm. hard and fast rule is, is very reductive. I remember back, I used to work in technology, and, and back right when I was writing about that category, you always knew when a, a company was targeting the female market because all they did was just put out a product with a, with a pink case. I think that's very simplistic and I think you need to be more, uh, talk, think about the way different people use different pieces of technology and about how, how, how you can attract women to STEM by being more flexible and being more accommodating rather than by just saying, you know, come in and here's a pink printer. Lauren, what's your thoughts? Um, I'd actually like to know a bit more about the science behind female versus male preferences, whether it comes to aesthetics or ergonomics. Or I feel like I'm, I, I'm not really informed enough about that to comment. But uh, when there's something targeted towards girls, which is obviously targeted towards girls, with you, does it turn you off or on if it's 
just overly feminine. To be honest, pink's my favourite colour. I'm not ashamed of that. <laughs> so if something was pink, I'd probably go for it. That being said, if it was like garishly pink and like tacky pink, I probably wouldn't. So I think it really comes down to personal preferences. And there are probably lots of girls who don't like pink out there. So I really don't think there's a one-size-fits-all solution. Mm. Yeah. And we'll go on to some of the other tips. Um, Kathy Howie, How Kathy Howe, sorry, manager of Macquarie University's Macquarie ICT Innovation Centre, which basically provides teachers with um, professional development teaching STEM and student and school student workshops, um, basically said get in there early and foster an early love of learning. That's her main tip. And finally, there's Sunny South, who is a te- who's a teacher librarian at Sydney Secondary College at the Leichhardt campus. And so, and she, and one of her big tips is that, especially in the early years, a lot of the boys just take over because most the people who turn up are mostly boys, and they and they they take over from the girls. I can also say, like, on my based on my personal experience in in the later years of high school, one of the issues is that the kind of people who are attracted to teaching those subjects aren't fully invested in them because most teachers want to teach the arts. Um, so it's kind of the teachers who can't get into that often who end up teaching the STEM subjects and as a result they're not very passionate about it so they don't inspire their students and I think that's a huge issue. Um, As for the gender divide I think um, possibly those subjects attract more male teachers who um, maybe even subconsciously have a bias towards the male students and have sort of a very um, male old-fashioned approach to teaching as well when i was researching uh a story a few months ago now uh, i chatted to to 10 female stem students at uh at uq in queensland and the feedback that they gave was that the 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 stem departments at universities is very much built around the patriarchy it was set up by men in order for men to study there originally and and all the little things that that means is that you know uh the co-curricular activities are all blokey stuff. The the computer labs are, are, are ergonomically designed for men to use instead of women to use. That there's inflexibility regarding times that uh, people can study. You know, uh, they're not built around family time, not built around perhaps balancing a work life and a home life. All these things, and some of them are, are very small, what you might call like a micro detail. But when you put them all together, it creates a very unaccommodating uh, circumstance for a person to go into and then learn and study. And so when, when you say that um, the teachers might have a very male view, I think that's a very good uh, point to make in that without even being a conscious sexism, it would just be something that they, they would convey information in a way that perhaps is easier for men to pick up and run with, but doesn't take into account the, the vast different uh, learning techniques that uh, the whole spectrum of communities have. What about high school and primary school STEM education spaces? Uh, uh, to be honest, I don't have as intimate a knowledge of those spaces as I do of university, but the uh, I would suggest that there are, there are similar issues with with, with uh, generation to generation sort of information transfer in that all the all the high school science teachers are more likely to be men because that's what the generation of science students were a generation ago. So until we get like a really strong cohort of uh, female students through universities so then they can go and become high school teachers and, and you know pass on that information I think we are going to keep uh, hitting a brick wall with this hmm. and just as a fun fact be uh, a female science teacher actually won the Prime Minister's Prize last year so that's a fun fact oh that's good I think as well as the sciences 
gain more recognition on a national level because, you know, in the past in Australia we haven't celebrated them as much as we should. Perhaps, you know, that will attract more people in general, which will in include more females. In part two, Lauren, one of the darker opening paragraphs I read this week came from a piece you wrote for Early Learning Review. It was that in 2013, going back three years, across Australia, 70,000 children faced the prospect of sleeping rough. One in six struggled with daily existence, living below the poverty line. Lauren, why has this been in the news this week? So a new report was released uh, by a group called the Australian Child Rights Task Force, which is actually comprised of over 100 organisations and led by UNICEF Australia, as well as the National Children's and Youth Law Centre, where I used to volunteer during my uni days. So that was a blast from the past. So they published this report um, in honour of 25 years since Australia ratified the um, International Convention on the Rights of the Child, and they found some pretty shocking statistics. Uh, the ones that you mentioned, Patrick, um, one in six are below the poverty line. And um, they also found that minorities um, tend to be more disadvantaged, including those who are Indigenous, LGBTQI, or from rural or mi migrant backgrounds, as well as those with disabilities. And the, the biggest issue with this poverty is that it causes other issues, which increases people's disadvantage. So, for example, um, those in poverty have less access to health services. They tend to have um, higher um, levels of contact with cr the criminal justice system and greater exposure to domestic violence. They're also more likely to be removed from their parents. So basically the outcome of this report is that the task force is urging the government to create a national policy agenda for children so that every child in Australia has the same level of access to a quality existence. One of the more uh, sort of frightening stats that I read in this story is that in 1990, three out of 1,000 1, children were removed from their families by social services. Now in 2014, this number has almost tripled to eight per 1,000. Now I wonder whether that's because of uh, reporting catching up to incidents or whether we actually have more uh, more need for social services to intervene uh, and why we're actually becoming, it's actually becoming harder for, for kids to, to stay, you know, healthy and happy and uh, above the poverty line. Was there any sort of extra detail on that? Unfortunately, um, I didn't get extra detail on that. Um, anecdotally, I can offer some comment on that. One is that, as you suggested, um, reporting guidelines have become more stringent, so there's a lot more surveillance. Um, another thing could be that, um, you know, economically Australia is not doing as well as it has done in the past. So um, there could be more unemployment causing social issues. Um, I don't know, James, do you have any suggestions about... Do we know the demographics of those removed from their homes, like within, within that group? Because that would, that would be very interesting to see. Yeah. I think you would, one of the things you would probably see is a high proportion of Aboriginal children. Definitely, yeah. always the rates for Indigenous people, Indigenous children, tend to be much higher than that of the general population when it comes to disadvantage. So, mm -hmm. um, is there, Do we know what um, various governments or groups are doing about this at all? Or, Well, 
there have been other similar groups calling for, um, if not a national policy agenda, um, a minister for children, for instance, to look after the next generation, um, because clearly we're not doing enough to support them. The minister for minors idea that was floated around last week, I think is really interesting because we keep hearing about how the baby boomers are ruining it for everybody by taking all the advantages and then leaving us to pay the bills. The I, I, w- I would be very interested to see how that would play out if we had a minister actually advocating for young people because parliament has traditionally been uh, a closed shop of middle-aged people dictating how it's going to be. And I think the generation below us is the generation that is most going to suffer as a result of the current wealth inequality between generations because at least our generation will benefit from the baby boomers wealth but when it comes to the generation following us um, I'm concerned for them in terms of their their well-being and um, their prospects. Part three today we're going to close on a, a fun new competition which has been launched for students years one through nine called Word Mania 2016 and it's a, it's a game to encourage uh, kids' literacy and learning new and interesting words. Essentially, kids are given uh, an app or uh, on, their, uh, on their mobile device or on their computer with 12 letters, and you have to make the most words as you can. I'm sorry, 15 letters. You have to make the most words as you can out of those 15 letters. And some of the prizes that are on offer in this competition are pretty good. I mean, there's software licenses and magazine subscriptions, which are a bit ho-hum. But then you can win Scrabble and then there's $1,000 cash prize for the best per year, per region and per school. And also schools compete against each other as well. And I I spoke with the the CEO, Adam MacArthur of Literacy Planet. That's the Queensland-based company that is putting on this competition. And he was talking about how uh, he's trying to create a, a vector between how students play, which is apps and on their phones, and how they learn which is by, you know, by repetition, by reinforcement. And so that's where he's come up with this game. And uh, as a fun challenge to, to get uh, the creative juices flowing, Adam and I uh, sat down and came up with our favorite words with, per length. And uh, Lauren and James are gonna join me and we're gonna go through our favorite words now. <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to- Disclaimer, uh, not, they're not all our favorite words. So this is, this is for, uh, in support of getting people interested in word mania and uh, getting people uh, to think about their favorite words and thinking about crafting words. We're gonna go through it now, starting at uh, one letter. I'll read out uh, mine and Adam's choices and Lauren and James will read out theirs. So, uh, one letter, we've, uh, you're torn between two words here. I went with I. <laughs> James, what was yours? I went with A. Lauren? I went with I. And Adam went with A as well, so two and two. Two letter words. My favorite two letter word is id. I went with O. I did on, really boring. And Adam went with two. My favourite three-letter word is hmm, H-M-N, which you can play in Scrabble, James. That's a sound, not a word. It's, it's <laughs> playable in Scrabble. All right, I put down yum, because I like food. I put down V because I have no imagination. <laughs> and Adam, uh, CEO of Literacy Planet, he went with fun. My favourite four-letter word is boon, B-O-O-N, just like the cricket. Wiki. Dorf. And Adam's favourite four-letter word was read, R-E-A-D. Adam's words were very thematic around promoting this competition that he's got running. My favourite five-letter word is snood. Just to annoy everyone who's listening, my favourite five-letter word is moist. 
I know everyone hates that. Just to bring things back to a neutral platform, my favourite word was chair. Very appropriately for this for this podcast, uh, Adam's favourite five-letter word is learn. And my favourite six-letter word is coolio. Enigma. That is a good word, mm. enigma. That. Motion. And Adam's favourite one is letter. And uh, my favourite seven-letter word is gestalt. Gestalt. I gestalt. Gestalt. It's gestalt. Just, well, I've always pronounced it gestalt. It is spelled with a G, though. You sound French. It's German, so I should probably... Gestalt. Maybe you're right, actually. <laughs> Patrick, you do pronounce Merlot, Merlot, and Sorbet. I'm looking at this to see James. All right, so we got Arcane. Lauren? Sixpence. That is a good word as well. And uh, Adam's favourite seven-letter word was grammar. My favourite eight-letter word is inchoate. Okay, our chainsaw. Patrick <laughs> means inchoate. Yeah. And my word is tortoise. And Adam's favourite eight-letter word was alphabet. My favourite nine-letter word is scrimshaw. What does that mean? Scrimshaw is when you take a whale bone and you file it down to create a shape, which is what people on whaling ships used to do to pass the time. So they were scrimshawing to create scrimshaw. All right, my favourite nine-letter word was communism. <laughs> Mine was... <laughs> we lost Lauren. We lost Lauren. <laughs> Adam's favourite nine-letter word was rewarding, which I'm hoping that people are finding this experience. Lauren, your favourite nine-letter word. <laughs> what you, I'll read it now for her. Lauren, Lauren's favourite nine-letter word is chimneys. It's chimneys. My favourite ten-letter word is groupthink. How appropriate for what's going on right now. Mm. My favourite is crapulent. Thank you, Greg Craven from Australian Catholic University who taught me that one today. And what does that word mean? It means basically drunk or being sick from being drunk or intoxicated. That's Which James bad. has obviously never experienced. Never at all. My word is kerfuffles. Right. I assume you can pluralise kerfuffles. So. Well, it's a pass mark. And uh, Adam's favourite ten-letter word is vocabulary. That's a good word. Uh, my favourite eleven-letter word is clandestine. James? Mine is Supplejack. Lauren? Mine is Nevertheless. Actually, can we just go back? What's your, what was your 11 letter word? Supplejack. What does that mean? Um, this may not be accurate because I did Google this. From what I believe, it's something to do with tropical trees. It's Go a climbing plant with a supple stem. Yeah, that's what Google told me. Adam's favourite 12 letter word is storytelling. Uh, my favourite 13 letter word is rapprochement. 13 level words we're up to? Mm -hmm. Okay, my favourite word, well, this isn't a word, this is something I discovered the other week and it made my forehead hit the desk, I absolutely hate it if I had to tell everyone about it, is collaboration. That is a portmanteau of collaborate and innovation. Listen, two buzzwords which are... Uh, that's pretty good, that'll be in the dictionary soon enough. Um, my one's quite political too, it's aboriginality. Gee, that, that is an interesting one. And uh, Adam's favourite 13, 13 letter word is comprehension. We missed 12. My favourite 12 letter word is pinchonesque. Uh, mine's extravaganza. Mine's cantankerous. Adam's was storytelling. Almost there, listeners. My 14, favourite 14 letter word is disambiguation. Oh, I've got a dis too. It's discombobulate. Mine's epidemiologies, because why not? What does epidemiologies mean? It's the plural of epidemiology. And what does that mean? <laughs> it's the study of disease. And... Adam's favourite 14-letter word is differentiated. And finally, at the end, my favourite 15-letter word is anti-penultimate. Oh, last. We were meant to do 15-letter words. I don't have one. I've <laughs> got one. It's aeronorsophobia. 
Oh, jeez, what's that? Wow. Fear of? It's the fear of getting sick on an aeroplane. That's very good word. And Adam's favourite was personalisation. So that brings us to the end of this uh, this uh, somewhat out there episode of Talking Ends. The now we wanted to get everyone thinking about their favourite words so that they could play uh, the word mania. That's at wordmania.com.au. And uh, please feel free to jump on to the website, educationreview.com.au, and leave your own favourite words if you want to. And you can check out Lauren's website at earlylearningreview.com.au. And James also writes for campusreview.com.au. And you won't get a $100,000 prize, but you'll get a nice little message from return from us. So that's a a huge incentive. Yeah, I agree.